welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alrighty, friends. If you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be great. My name is Micah, if we have not met. I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. And uh, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25. That's where we'll be for this morning, and as you do, I'll just let you know a couple of things. One, as you came in and as you leave, there are a number of people who are hanging out in the gallery in the back, uh, related to some signs that are back there. Um, some different volunteers and uh, teams of volunteers, I should say, uh, the leaders of those teams are typically in the back there, and just kind of a show of like, hey, here's some of the places and the things that um, we're doing at Awaken week in and week out that need bodies and people that are involved and committed to those things. So if you have questions about them, you can talk to those folks in the back. But there's a number of things that we're still looking for uh, people to step into and help um, execute at Awaken. So the re- things that are in red are on Sundays only. And if it's a, in a, a black sign, and it's not on Sundays. So you can pay attention to those as you see fit. The other thing I'll say... If you weren't here last week, you might want to check out the podcast um, from last week's uh, teaching and, and, and our time together. Very important announcement regarding John Mark and a transition that's coming uh, at the end of this month. And so I won't go into all of the details today because I did last week, um, but you'll want to check that out on the podcast. Um, John was saying earlier, he had a couple of conversations with people where he, he assumed that they knew and they didn't know. So that was awkward. So um, if you weren't here, you're going to want to check that out uh, that's, that's an important part of our life together. And the last caveat before we dive into this text this morning is that parents, if you are in the room and you have kids with you, I would say this is PG-13. Um, I'm going to do my best to not entertain my inner junior higher on this passage this morning, uh, but I can't promise you that there won't be some splaining to do um, later. Fair enough? Now that I have you all in the palms of my hand, if you would stand for the reading of the word. Deuteronomy chapter 25, starting in verse 11, says this. If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant and she reaches out and seizes him by the private parts, you shall cut off her hand, show her no pity. Pray with me. Lord, for the preacher, I pray that you would give wisdom and clarity, precision, uh, to navigate what it is that you might have for us this morning from this passage. Um, God, we come with all kinds of expectations and desires and hopes and maybe even fears and anxieties. Um, so I pray that as we, as we turn our attention towards your word, that uh, you would just do a work, that you would speak somehow, um, even through this passage, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said... Amen, amen, and amen. This is an all-play question. What are the thoughts and feelings you have when I read that passage? Just go ahead and shout them out. This is an all-play, so you can just shout them out. What are your thoughts and feelings when you hear a passage like that? Whoa. Yep, whoa. What else? Awkward. What? What else? Maybe two more than one-word sentences. Um, say, what, say again? Unfair, yeah. What was yours? Why is this in the Bible? Very good question. Totally valid. Yes. What else? Gross. Yeah. And oddly specific, is it not? Like, really? I mean, I haven't run across this. Anybody, anybody ran across this one yet? Actually, growing up with four, five boys, my mom probably would be like, actually, somebody did that growing up. So 
Um, anything else? What do you think of? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if God is good all the time, like, how does this... Yeah, right? So welcome to Lost in Translation. Uh, this is a series that we do at Awaken, um, usually once a year, uh, typically in the summer. And so since it's still summer, holy cats, uh, we, we're keeping it going. And um, the, the, the reason that we do this is because there are verses like this in the Bible. Like, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, right? Like, that's what we just read. That was in the Bible. And for many of us... Um, these are, hard to, these are passages that are really difficult to explain when a friend or somebody, or a relative, who maybe doesn't share your conviction or your commitment to the Bible or Jesus, says, like, how do you explain that? Um, that's in there. And so we want to just, because the scriptures are valuable to me and to this community, and we've stated that they're, like, in the center of who we are and what we're about, like, we got to go here. Um, so today what I want to do is I want to try to ask um, a couple of questions about this. The first is, like, what are we reading Whenever you open the Bible, like, that could be the best question you can ask. What am I reading? Like, if you start, uh, if, you, if you think you're reading um, prose and you're actually reading ancient Jewish apocalyptic literature, you might be off, like, right away. If this is a letter um, and you're reading it like it's poetry, right? So what am I reading is a, a good place to start. That's what we're going to do first. And then I want to ask, um, I want to look at like, the two most common ways people read this passage or interpret this passage and some of the problems that kind of bubble up from that. And then I want to try to end with, is there some way forward that's consistent with the ancient world that the Bible comes from, but then also maybe isn't quite as barbaric as it seems on the surface, right? That's what we're going to try to do today. Are you with me now? So let's start with the first question. What is it that we're reading? Again, that question, when you open up the Bible, is such a great place to start because you can get off on the wrong foot right away if you answer this question wrong or inappropriately, right? What we're reading is called Deuteronomy. Um, it means the second law. Deuteronomy is a part of Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? This is essentially the scriptures for the Old Testament people. Um, Deuteronomy was written... Four, uh, it was written in about 1400 BC, and um, the time period that we're sort of on, on, or where we are in the timeline is that the Israelites have come out of Egypt, they've gone through the Exodus, they came to Numbers 13 where they were about to go into the land, God promised them, they decided not to, and a whole generation of people died off while wandering around in the wilderness. It's called the 40 years of wilderness wandering. So uh, a whole generation dies off, and then this book is like the second statement or the restatement of the, of the law found in Leviticus for a new generation of people going into the promised land. Okay, are you tracking so far? That's kind of like what we're talking about here. This book was the book that was found later when King Josiah, who was, I think, one of the youngest, if not the youngest king of Israel, um, finds a, a book in the temple, because the temple had been destroyed, and he finds this book in the temple and reads it, and like tears his clothes, rends his garments, because he realizes how far off Israel had gone from what God intended for them to be. So this book becomes the source of these massive reforms for Israel's religious and uh, cultic and religious life in the ancient world when Josiah was the king. Many people would argue that Deuteronomy is actually a huge leap forward 
in terms of alien and orphan and widow uh, and care of women in the world, which is bizarre based upon the passage we just read, right? Like this book is looked at as a really progressive move from where they were or where the ancient world was, and Deuteronomy stands as kind of this beacon of new ways of thinking about the alien and the orphan and the widow and the, the woman in and among culture. So how is that possible? We're going we're to try to figure that out. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, when we're reading Old Testament literature, specifically our book Deuteronomy, it's important for us to remember who and when this was written. This is written to an ancient people in an ancient world, arguably like 3,000 plus years ago. So when you read something in the Bible and you think to yourself, gosh, that seems really barbaric, it's because it is. You can say that out loud. If you read something in the Bible and you say to yourself, man, that is really patriarchal, you can, it, it's probably because it is. And you can say that out loud. Typically, more often than not, men were privileged over women in this world. So it's okay for us to read something and go, that is so patriarchal and sick and gross. Yep, you can say that out loud. If you read the Bible and you think, gosh, this is really primitive and uh, like antiquated, it's probably because it is. Now, most pastors won't say that out loud because the problem is we have like the value of Scripture and the ins inspiration of Scripture or the, 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 uh, the revelatory work of Scripture, and then you have these realities. And I'm, I want to preserve these things as a pastor because I believe them to be true, and so I just don't pay any attention to these other things. But when I do that, I look like an idiot. And so do you. When we try to preserve the holiness of the book, because in the face of these questions or passages like this, we look really dumb. Because to any critically thinking person, it's right there. It's not hard to read that and go, that's really patriarchal. Men were very much favored over women. In fact, women were treated quite poorly in the Bible. Yep, you're right. Totally true. So it's important as we even start digging into this passage, but zooming out in this series... It's okay for you to say that out loud. Or if you've ever thought that, you can, you can, it's okay. You're not a bad Christian. You're not a bad person. Like your faith, your faith hasn't been lost because that's true. The book that we're reading and the book that we're dealing with is thousands of years old. And the way in which people were treated, the way in which women were thought about, the way in which sexuality was talked about, the way in which politics, all kinds of things were so different. This, my friends, is where it gets really fun because this is the work of the church. How do you interpret the Bible? Like, what does it actually say? That's the job of the church and of the theologian, which BT dubs, you're a part of that class. It's not just Jenna and Micah, all right? We're all together in community wrestling with this text. This is the, 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 the Israelite people in Hebrew. Their name means one who wrestles with God and with others, man, humans, and is able. So the people of God, their name is a wrestling kind of, it's like, let's wrestle this thing, right? This is Jacob to Israel. So it's okay. This is actually our, this is our work. This is what we get to do. So then what does it mean? And for us, we have to ask the question, what of this passage and its trajectory is consistent with what we know to be true about God in Jesus, right? Because you can't freeze the text, what I mean by that is the Bible is written on a continuum of space and time. And it's, it's a snapshot at one particular time in space and, and in time. So if those things are true then, you can't just cut and paste them 2,018 years later and, a lot of it, and all of it will make sense. A lot of it won't. 
So when we freeze the text, because we want to value it, and we say it's holy, and it's the word of the Lord, like, the intention is good, but man, you can see how that can be damaging to people when in cut and pasted poorly, right? So you can't freeze the text, but you can ask the question, what have I just read, and what of its trajectory, or where it's pointing, is consistent with what I know to be true about God in Jesus, right? The scripture itself says, when we see Jesus, we see God. The disciples come to him and say, we want to see the Father. And Jesus is like, hello, right here, right? The book of Hebrews says, Jesus is the exact representation, the icon. So if we want to know what God sounds like, looks like, loves like, Jesus is our answer, right? So as we turn our eyes towards Jesus, we can know this is what God is like. And when we read something in the Bible that seems to be at odds with Jesus, we can stick with Jesus, right? Because the Bible is pointing towards Jesus. It's on a trajectory to tell that story. And so, if we find something snapshotted, paused in, you know, the ancient world that just is barbaric, we can say, that's barbaric, and we shouldn't do it anymore, right? So this is the work of the church. This is what we're doing here. Now, this brings us to the sticky wicket of this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 25. Apparently, a move forward for women and, and, and uh, immigrants and orphans, and, but how, how is that possible when we read... If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, that's testicles, you shall cut off her hand, show her no pity. How on earth do we get from that to the sacrificial love of God that we see in Jesus the Christ? Okay, friends, here we go. Two ways that this is typically understood. One of them has to do with lex talionis, which is a Latin word. You all actually know this, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You've heard that before, right? That's lex talionis, right? One of them has to do with that, and the other one has to do with, like, the shame and honor culture that was the ancient Near East and this woman's action. So let's tackle this one first. The most common way to understand this passage is that it's lex talionis. It's tit for tat. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So I need a volunteer. Uh, Dana, come on up here, if you would, please. This is how lex talionis works in the ancient world. And by the way, this is all over the ancient world. So the Egyptians, the Sumerians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, this comes from Hammurabi's Code. Has anybody ever heard of Hammurabi's Code? It's the, it's the oldest document that we have as humans, right? Like 6,000 years old or something crazy like that. This is Lex Talionis. Stamp on my foot. No, like really give it to me. Come on. I don't hurt you. Hurt me. Bring it. There we go. So he stamps on my foot, I stamp on his foot. Hit me in the face, right here, right here. Go ahead, go ahead. All right? If he hurts my dog and breaks my dog's leg, then I break his dog's leg. Truth be told, it's very clear, right? There's no ambiguity about, like, justice. It, whatever, I've, whatever has been done to me is returned to the other, right? Lex talionis. Give Dana a round of applause. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. <clears throat> so... The most com one of the common interpretations is, oh, this is lex talionis. This is like tit for tat. This is uh, um, an eye for an eye sort of a deal. But when you start to like, really lean into that logically, it falls apart, right? You see where this is going. Um, here we have a woman who comes to the aid of her husband, who's in a fight, in a, in a quarrel, and her aid is that she gooses, she seizes the testicles of the assailant, and then we cut off her hand. But if lex talionis is real, and that's how it worked, then 
there's got, if it's, if it's, there's got to be like an ovarian equivalent. You know what I'm saying? Tracking with me, everybody, right? So testicles, o, o, like, it, like, it just doesn't make any sense. And even if there was some kind of ovarian equivalent to this act, it's only applicable if there's permanent or fatal damage that's been done. And the text does not say it. So there's no textual evidence that there has been, like, permanent damage done to this man. He just got a little jump, you know, <laughs> like, oh. So Lex Talionis doesn't make any sense. It, it sort of introduces more questions than it does answers. The interesting part about, and this is just a little side note, the fact that Lex Talionis was a part of Israel's law code or their life isn't surprising at all because they lived as, uh, around the Egyptians and the Sumerians and the Assyrians. And so it would be totally normal for Lex Talionis to be the basis for law. What's fascinating is that there's a provision in Israelite law code. And that provision is arbitrage. So instead of violence being returned with violence as the norm, there is a new way of being human, right? This is the giant leap forward, where you can invite an, an, an innocent outsider or an, a nonpartisan bystander into the conversation, and between the two of you, you can come up with some kind of restitution that is equal to or commensurate to the violence that's been done to you without having to repay violence with violence. This is the total, like, bombshell in Israel's life that, hey, you don't have to keep doing violence with violence. You can take it out of the system, right? These guys are, they're, they're, this is my playbook. This is my parenting playbook. You got to take violence out of the system. So in Israel's way of life, there was actually a provision that's explicit in Exodus 21, implicit in Leviticus 35, and all over ancient uh, extra-biblical Jewish sources that talk about the ways in which if someone were to kill my horse, I don't have to kill their horse. I can receive some kind of payment in money form or land or crops that, doesn't, that takes violence out of the system, which I think is just fascinating and gets to some of the other larger things that are swirling around this passage. But suffice it to say, lex talionis and that way of reading the text just really doesn't work. All right? So let's take the other one. The punishment has to do with the shame and the action of the woman. Right? In an ancient world, especially with a group of people who are trying to establish themselves, think Game of Thrones, right? where a, a, a clan or a group of people are trying to become something, the ability to produce offspring, particularly male offspring, is it's, it's, it's like the highest goal. And so therefore, there is an incomprehensible value and reverence for the source of life, which is why ovaries and eggs and testicles and sperm and all the things surrounding them have great value in the ancient world. Now, one could argue that one was... Uh, favored or more highly valued than the other. Totally fair, absolutely. And yet, that which brings life is of great value. And so there was an affront and a disrespect by this woman and her choice to do what she did. So the shame that would come from that and the shame that would come on her and the shame that would come on her husband, the argument goes that it would be so great that the only way or the only punishment fitting for the crime would be to walk around with only one hand for the rest of your life as a reminder of that choice, that that shame would follow you. To which many people would ask, is the God of the Bible a monster? Fair question, right? Totally fair question. Now, that reading of the shame and the action of the woman actually sort of leads into, I think, even a bigger problem, which is that the only law in the entire Torah 
If you read it this way, this, these two verses are the only place in all of the Jewish Bible where physical mutilation is the requirement for, for an act of violence. So if you look at all, all through the whole Jewish Bible, this is the only place, 11 and 12, that asks for physical mutilation of someone's body as a repayment of violence done. Uh, why? Like you said, this is really specific and sort of a bizarre incidence. Is this the precedence for the now only text in the whole Jewish Bible that asks for this instead of what's normally asked for? Arguably, it's not. One author says it this way. The Israelite horror of the woman's deed, even in the face of extenuating circumstances, is of such an order of magnitude that it has created all by itself the only Israelite law that imposes physical mutilation for a crime. While it's theoretically possible, he says it's not intuitively persuasive. And I totally agree. So then, is there a way forward that's consistent with the ancient world that's not quite as weird as cut off her hand, right? I want to say yes, there is. And it has to do with two words in the text. And they are cut off and hand. So the, the passage reads, if two men are fighting and the wife of one of them re comes to her, rescue her husband from his assailant and reaches out her hand, that's the word yod. There's two uses of hand, yod and kaf. So reaches out her hand, yod, and grabs him by the private parts. You shall cut off, katsats, his kaf or her kaf. All right? So cut off and hand are the two words that mean the most in this passage. And here's why. The first one, cut off. Most of the time when this, this word is used in the Bible, you can totally render it cut off. That's, that's uh, reasonable and normal. But there are multiple occasions where this verb form is used where it doesn't mean cut off, but it means shave or cut off like hair. Not cut off like dismember, but cut off or shave like your hair. Right? The other word adds a little bit of color to the situation because kaf, you shall cut off her hand, kaf, often refers to like the palm of a hand or the curve of a hand. It can also mean like the curve or the underside of your foot, but it can also mean, and does in Genesis um, 19, I think it is, and Song of Songs, the groin area, like the curve of the genital area. Put these two and two together, right? So what's being said? It's, I, I would argue that it is not out of the question to read this passage as uh, if two men are fighting and the wife of one comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you shall shave her groin. Totally within the realm of possibilities and makes more sense lexically, like with the words. Now you're all sitting here thinking, Micah, that is awful. That's no better than the previous option, quite frankly. And I would say, you're totally right. I agree with you. But it's not abnormal in the ancient world. So if you're honest about where the Bible comes from, and you're honest about the things that were maybe normal but not accepted now, you have to sit, you read this text and you're like, okay, this is called de uh, depilation or like the removal of hair. And in the Bible, multiple times in, in the book of Exodus, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Ezekiel, genital shaving occurs connected to humiliation. So in order to, for someone to receive punishment for some act that they've done, genital shaving, and then sort of like making that known to the world was a normal or um, not unprecedented act in the ancient world, right? So summing all of this up, you read a passage like this and you think to yourself, okay, two men fighting, wife grasses, reaches out, 
private parts, you shall cut off her hand. Well, maybe not cut off her hand. That seems really weird and, and barbaric, but maybe a little less barbaric, normal-ish in the ancient world, shave her groin. Okay, friends. Now, what does this have to do with your life? <laughs> Nothing. Um, as your pastor, I'm going to implore you to not take any of this that you've heard from this text and make it a part of your life, ever. I mean, I would go as far as to say maybe in any situation, okay? So why are we doing this? Why, why would I preach a passage like this if there's really no like, application for our lives in 2018? Well, similar to the whole series, I would say on the surface, it would appear that there's nothing here for us, but I think there's a lot here for us. Because when we come to the Bible and we find a passage like this, we have options. We either disregard it because we don't know how to explain it, we stop reading it, or we start building up a, a hatred or anxiety or a disregard for or a dislike of the Bible because this is not the only one in here that sounds like this. Or we ignore it and we look like idiots. To a watching world who has questions about who God is and what the Bible is and why it's important and why it's so valuable to people. So this passage and what I'm saying to you today I think has all kinds of implications for our lives. That being... First and foremost, number one, when we read the Bible, it is so crucial that we read it through the lens of Christ. Looking back on the text, what we know, what we, if we want to know anything about God, the text says we need to look at Jesus. We want to know what God sounds like, looks like, loves like, acts like, it's like Jesus. And so when we find a passage like this that looking back doesn't, doesn't uh, there's a giant contrast between the, Jesus the person and this text, we have a way by which we can understand it or at least approach it without fear or anxiety or, uh, or just total disregard because it's in here. Also, when we come to passages like this, there are often the seeds for what become what we see in Christ. Here's an example. Most of the Old Testament is very patriarchal and, denig and denigrates the role of women or the voice of women in the text, right? From our perspective. Deuteronomy, from an ancient perspective, is actually taking massive steps towards egalitarian, like equal equality between men and women. Then you find Jesus in the New Testament, and guess what? Most of his, the people who bankrolled his whole ministry, women. The first people to see the resurrected Jesus, women. Some of Jesus' most faithful disciples, the ones that Paul lifts up in the epistles, women. So you see that the seeds of what Jesus then does later and points us towards. So if we just say when we find a passage that we don't like, we throw it away, I would argue that we, we miss the possibility of seeing how the scriptures are working themselves out and how humans are being invited to move towards wholeness and what it means to be like real whole, integrated humans in the world who love one another the way Christ loves the church and loves us, right? So if we don't do that, if we just throw it out because we don't like it, we run the risk of not seeing that. And it starts with reading the Bible through the lens of Christ. If it looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, acts like Jesus, loves like Jesus, if it looks like sacrifice, if it looks like Calvary, now we're on to something. And when it doesn't, start digging, which leads me to this other point I'd like to make, 
a passage like this highlights the places where we have to stop and start digging. Like when we come to verses like this, a lot of times we don't want to do it. We don't want to do the work. Friends, Google. Like you all, you're sitting here thinking maybe, I'm not a pastor. I'm not trained theologically. I am not joking you. You can find all of the materials that I found to speak into my prep for this sermon on Google. Now, you might think, geez, that's pretty low bar. There is some wicked smart stuff out there that's accessible to everybody. You all are theologians. If you say you're a follower of Jesus and you're committed to this thing, then you can't just depend on other people because other people may tell you rubbish. It happens all the time where pastors, like, I probably, I've done it. Oh my gosh, I just had a flashback to when I was like a youth pastor right out of college. I taught Revelation to a group of junior hires. Yeah, like total left behind, Tim LaHaye, like dispensational, just rubbish, absolutely awful, awful theology. And I just gave it to them like it was truth. And they listened. So take responsibility for your own faith in your own lives. If you, if you hear something I say and you're like, I don't know if I dig that, Mike. I'm not sure if I believe that. I don't know if I'm, if I'm down with that. Start digging. Do your own work. If you're in a life group and you travel with people through life together in community, this is the kind of place where you could come to your life group and say, I just read this and I do not get it. Somebody help me out here, right? Help turn on the lights. You do have guides in a spiritual community, people who are further along or who have studied the languages in which it was written. Sometimes they're called pastors, sometimes they're not, but they're here in this community. We, I clearly, I love doing this, right? Ask your pastors. Ask people who have studied the languages. Like, don't be ignorant. You're responsible for your own faith. So lean into it. Don't stop digging. I hope and I pray that Awaken is a safe place for people, you and me, to journey that keeps Jesus and the scriptures which bear witness to Jesus in the center. I hope that this is a safe place for us to ask honest questions about our faith and about God and about the Bible and about how we live that out faithfully in the world. I hope and trust that that's what, that's what this community is about, that we would become people who are living authentic and vulnerable and courageous and brave lives in the world, connected to faith in Christ. That's what I hope and I pray for. That's why we do this series. That's why these things are so important. So maybe on the surface you may think, Micah, what on earth does some lady grabbing the testicles of another guy who's tackled her husband have to do with my life. Maybe not much, but maybe a lot. And an invitation to take the Bible seriously and to take the person that the Bible attests to seriously. And if that's the kind of community that you're looking for, then welcome to Awaken and welcome to Lost in Translation. That's why we do what we do the way we do it, friends. If you're, because I'm convinced that there are all kinds of people out there who have rejected the God that I believe I know in Jesus because of this book, right? You probably know people like that, that where they haven't read a Bible like we're reading, the way we're reading it, or they haven't met a Jesus like the Jesus we're talking about. Well, let's make that known then. That's what we're doing here, right? So if this is a church that you call home, come on, get involved. Don't just sit there on Sundays, like get involved in the life of our community. That's why we're doing this thing in the back every, on this weekend. One of the reasons this is not a model of uh, like a, a mirror of American consumerism where you guys come and you just pay for something and you get a service and you leave. That's not what we're doing here, right? This is a community and I want to invite you into it beyond 
sitting here on a Sunday. This is good, but it's not the end, all right? Who would have thought that I'd get to this from this passage? <laughs> now we're going to talk about tithing. Actually, that might be next week. But I'm serious, an invitation to you. Like, if that's the kind of church that you're looking for and you're just checking this place out, man, this is the track we're on. So join us and, and let's follow this Jesus together. Now, that's really all I've got for you this morning. I hope and I pray that as we do this kind of work and these series, that this book and the person that this book attests to becomes all the more important, all the more real, all the more crucial for what it means to live, live a life that's full and authentic and whole in the world, that brings hope and joy and love, because that's what Jesus is about. Amen, amen? So, let me pray for you. Let me pray for us. And then we'll have just a, a few moments of silence. I'm going to stop talking in hopes and in trust that God keeps talking amidst that silence. And then we'll sing as we close. So pray with me. God, as we take a few minutes to quiet our hearts, to slow down, to stop talking, uh, we do so, I do so with a trust and faith that you are present, that you're uh, alive and at work in the world, moving in and among and through your church. And so we want to take just a few moments to stop and pause and say, speak to us. Whatever ways we have revved it up too far, help us to slow down. Whatever ways we've made a mess, um, God, come in and put things back together. Whatever ways we need you to bring peace and comfort and wholeness and healing, um, please do that. So Holy Spirit, invite us wherever we are, meet us where we are, and invite us to whatever is next, I pray. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.